Doctors take Field of Greens for their own health. Here's Dr. Ryan Green to explain. We're like you, too much fast food, not enough exercise. That's why I take Field of Greens. The fruits and vegetables in Field of Greens support my heart, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism for weight loss. And Field of Greens promises your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. Get 15% off with promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. That's promo code HEALTH at fieldofgreens.com. Product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, stranger. The Opus is moving out and into a new season as we continue to explore the ongoing legacy of music's most iconic records. I'm your host, Adam Unz, and this season we're celebrating the 45th anniversary of Billy Joel's fifth studio album, The Stranger, a record whose critical and commercial success catapulted the piano man to superstardom. Helping us explore this classic collection are artists like Billy Joel's drummer, Liberty DeVito, Regina Spector, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness, Rozzy, Lissy, The Ark Hells, Bayside's Anthony Renari, and Ben Folds. Great music shapes lives, shakes rafters, and embeds itself into our culture. So let's find out why only the good die young as we deep dive into The Stranger. The new season is out now and is brought to you by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sony Legacy Recordings. Find us at consequence.net or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, Did you have a nice holiday weekend? Or, if you're not in the United States, did you have a nice non-holiday weekend? I hope so. I did. It was very fun. And now it's a new month with new and exciting guests. Starting with... The chat I had with singer, songwriter, and producer Shaka about his spark of inspiration, Frank Ocean's groundbreaking mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra. This was such a great conversation. Uh, I've talked a lot about how much I love talking to smart, switched-on guests, and Shaka definitely fits the bill there. But he also really loves his chosen subject matter, and it shows. And he's really knowledgeable about the context from which it arose, and also about music history and the impact of Black British culture on the world of music and entertainment. Uh, We spoke about the impact Frank Ocean's music has had on him, but also about the roots and trajectory of Black British music. Um, And we also touched on the greatness of Michaela Cole, with whom Shaka has a personal relationship. Uh, And they also work together on uh, Michaela Cole's series Chewing Gum, which is pretty cool. It's all really fascinating stuff, so let's just dive right in. Quick Shaka facts. West London-born Shaka Phillip, known professionally as Shaka, is a singer, songwriter, and producer. He has had a string of mainstream hits, including the platinum-selling single Man Down, featuring Luna George. He's collaborated with the likes of Young Thug, Tiny Tempa, Sigma, and more. He has won two MOBO awards and recently won a Grammy for his work on Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia. Shaka spent the pre-pandemic portion of 2020 hidden away in the hills of Los Angeles beginning work on his debut album, which will see Shaka return to his R&B roots. He has over 250 million streams to his name to date, and his aforementioned debut album will be released later this year. Uh, Quick Nostalgia Ultra facts. Nostalgia Ultra is the debut mixtape by American singer Frank Ocean, released in February of 2011. Ocean was inspired to make the mixtape after Hurricane Katrina in his native New Orleans, and his 
subsequent relocation to Los Angeles. After joining alternative hip-hop group Odd Future in 2010, he self-released the mixtape without initial promotion. Nostalgia Ultra has a unique R&B aesthetic and features surreal themes and nostalgic lyrics. The songs mostly focus on interpersonal relationships, personal reflection, and social commentary. Following its release, the mixtape received rave reviews from music critics, and it was followed by the release of Ocean's debut studio album, Channel Orange, to even greater acclaim in 2012. And there you have it. Now let's stop fucking around and get to the good stuff. Here comes my chat with Shaka about Nostalgia Ultra. So the uh, standard starting question is, do you remember hearing Nostalgia Ultra for the first time? Do I remember hearing Nostalgia? Yes, I do. <laughs> right. So my friend, his name's Incisive. He also goes by Ruben, but he's a rapper. Um and his artist name is Incisive. And Incisive, uh, we jump in a ride because we're about to go to a studio session. And he's like, two words. I'm like, what? He says, Frank Ocean. Now, whenever he delivers uh, new names of artists with a particular tone, that is like his delivery. It's almost like when you see a movie trailer about to pop off and this, like, you can just picture this massive guy with his gravelly voice going, in a world where <laughs> nothing exists apart from pineapples, like that kind of stuff. Like you would, that, that was his delivery, you know? So when he said it like that, I took it seriously. So he plays Novocaine and he sings Novocaine like he's been listening to Novocaine for five years. He hadn't because it was 20, 2011. I'm lying. It wasn't 2011. I think it was 2011, 2010, 2011. Hmm. And the mixtape hadn't been out for like a couple months. And so this guy was like, can't feel the pain, can't feel the pain, feel her, feel, feel, feel her. Like they, they aren't normal ad libs. Like hmm. they're, they're very quite syncopated and random. And so when I say random, I don't mean like incomprehensible. I just mean like they would have required at least 10 listens for you to know where those ad libs are. And he's not a singer, so it, it it had an effect on him. And he'd been listening to it, and he'd been rinsing it. And I'm like, I might need to listen again. And when I when I listened to it, I ended up studying it. And what I realized was, at the time, there weren't many mixtapes from a black vocalist with elements steeped in R and B and jazz. Like there wasn't many uh, projects from someone like that where they were singing in this style with subject matters that were aside from courtship. Aside from romance, this guy said, I don't, be I believe that marriage isn't between a man and woman, but between love and love. Um, the, the, the topic of sexuality in, in um, black music or the, the spectrum of sexuality in hip hop and R&B in particular is, is very difficult to find someone going into granular detail about it or even having an opinion on it. And uh, a lot of that speaks to... Um, the misogyny in hip hop or in R and B or the um, the hypermasculinity in those places, you know. Um, but here's this guy who ticks every box as a vocalist. Like he can do the runs you want him to do. He can do the uh, riffs, and he has sick melodies and dope timing and wonderful top lines. But then he also has this fearlessness, and it's the fearlessness to say, "Guys, these things exist in the world. We're gonna just talk about them." Like, or even just the 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 stark nature of some of his writing. Um, I've been meaning to buck you in the garden. Forgive me for swearing. I don't know whether or not we're allowed to. It is very encouraged. So Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Curse words are um, the fruit of life. And uh, yeah, the, the guy said, I've been meaning to fuck you in the garden. That was the opening line of um, Nature Feels, which is a, a cover or a remix of 
MGMT's Electric Eel. And I didn't know about Electric Eel until, or MGMT until that mixtape. And I feel like, I feel like Nostalgia Ultra for many reasons just made me look at R&B differently. Aside from just music differently, it definitely made me look at R&B differently. Yeah. And then there's also, also this emphasis upon his wanting to not want to show his face, not wanting to be on particular videos, not wanting to be in particular interviews. Um, it's almost as if he said, I don't want to subscribe to any kind of narrative that you think you should put on to someone like me or someone that sounds like me. Um, or even with the type of songs that I write, I don't, I don't want any kind of, like I don't want to appear in this interview and being spoken to a certain way or have to be forced to talk about certain things. Like I, I am the music and the music is me. And if we have conversations about that, amazing. If we have conversations about other things, I'm kind of not interested. And it, it symbolically felt that way. You know, obviously I'm, I'm paraphrasing his movements, hmm. you know, but aside from that, it, it just felt very refreshing, very insightful and very inspiring. Yeah. Nostalgia Ultra was a, an important mixtape for me. Yeah. Whew. I mean, there's so, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much really complicated stuff that comes up around this album. And it's like mm-hmm. at, at its core, this music is so incredible and it came at a time when, yeah. you know, it was a sound that, that was entirely his own. There's elements of lots of different yes. things. You know, he's taking samples from different places. Yes. Um, but like you said, the storytelling and also that kind of lyrical complexity touching on a million really intense subjects, but in yes. a way that's seamlessly integrated into the music. It doesn't feel like a preachy, like I'm, I'm trying to, this is the, the moment where I make my point. It's like, yes. you know, yes. um, the line, these lines aren't throwaway, but he's cool. talking about a lot of different things in rapid succession yes things that don't normally get brought up in, you know, popular music and just having the ability to the confidence. He was, he was 23 when he was making this music. And yeah. it's it says just, a lot about how, how he was raised and totally. also where he grew up and the people that he was around for sure. Absolutely. And the fact that, you know, this was supposed to be an album and he, it was like frustrations with his record label that he just like dumped it online and said, all of you can fuck off. You can't just get people into record contracts, hold them forever and shit on their dreams. And like, I have this music. I've been working so hard on this. Exactly. It's out. Exactly. Exactly. So there was a strong, there was a strong sense of ownership. Yeah. Or rather just ownership of, of art and also ownership of self, you know? Um, and with, with that comes, again, this is, this is, I don't even want to get too nerdy or too techy on it. You know what I mean? Because by and large, it's, it's a dope mixtape to bump, hmm. you know, like if, even if you don't um, assess it or analyze it or look at the granite in the detail and be like, whoa, my mind's blown. <laughs> like it's, it's, there's, there's still this, this um, very easeability to play. Like there's that, I don't have to think about whether or not I'm playing a Frank Ocean song to someone else. You know what I mean? From mm-hmm. this album anyway, you know, like it's, it's, it could be argued that the, the projects that followed were where he had full reign to, I don't know, like flex out musically and lyrically and conceptually, you know? So there may be songs that aren't as um, catchy or as easy to listen to than Nostalgia Ultra. I mean, that's, that's certainly my gut reaction whenever I switch albums. But I will say that it's just an easy play. It's a very easy play. Yeah, I could go on about this mixtape, man. I really, really could. But yeah, sense of ownership, sense of self is really important. Yeah. Really important. And it, just going back to what you were saying about kind of controlling his image, I think when he, 
you know, started out being associated with Odd Future and the perception of them at the time was just like kind of chaos, like, you know, yeah. uh, people who were making music that was just like wild and like yeah, loud yeah. and saying outrageous yeah. things. And yeah, yeah, he was in some ways kind of an antidote to that, but also I think Odd Futures, all the, the, the members of Odd Future, the, the music that they've made, the progression that yeah. has, has come yeah. through um, in them yeah. individually, like, you know, the stuff that Tyler's yeah. done and, and Earl Sweatshirt. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's this constant evolution that I can kind of see Frank Ocean's influence on, uh, especially yeah. like Tyler's last album. But this idea of like, th this is what uh, a black artist is. This is what R&B is. This is what hip hop yes. is. And people having yes. these kind of preconceived notions. Yes, yes. I think I think that's I think that's why I selected this album as an album to discuss um, lineages, and when I say lineages, I mean like just an album to discuss things in general, um, music in general. Because you're right, it didn't, it wasn't the antithesis of of, of R and B, but it definitely felt like I understand what the world thinks the blueprint of R and B should adhere to. However, I feel like we're stuck in the Stone Ages, and here's how we can push it forward. And it it, it felt like that with this. Uh, and the reason why I cited this as a, as a project to talk about is because uh, it feels the same way with Regents. I remember Drake talking about his difficulty to translate his sound or to express his music to certain parts of America or even just like gatekeepers of America, like be it radio DJs or managers or A&Rs or whoever else, purely because of the fact that he was from Canada. Like they, they, in their mind, they were like, we don't know how we're going to sell this or we don't know whether or not it's compatible with this brand because there aren't many things that come that have come out of Canada that are on parallel with your your little Wayne's or your Kanye's or your or Jiggers or whoever else mm -hmm. uh, that we're, we're trying to compare this with. Yeah, he's the biggest streaming hip hop artist of all time. Mm -hmm. And the I guess the point I'm making is that it, it, it doesn't matter where it comes from naturally. And that's what everybody says. And it's the most poetic outlook to have. Like <laughs> everybody's got a shot, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it puts, I think both Frank and Drake put emphasis upon the fact that blueprints are meant to be evolved. They're meant to be amended. They're meant to be, um, they're meant to grow, you know, they're meant to be DNAs as opposed to a barcode, you know? Uh, and I feel that way about British R&B. In fact, I feel that way about black music that comes from this country in general, or just art period that comes from this country in general. I feel like, um, especially as black artists, the, the diaspora that exists over here <laughs> is of such a unique mix, be it, um, Africa and Caribbean and many other parts of the world that we find ourselves in and, and seem to arrive here. The the type of music that we listen to, uh, or rather that's popular with the kids right now, is drill, which is essentially very up-tempo dance music with people rapping in my accent at 140 BPM. A lot of people would associate that with grime, but the drum patterns are different and the accents are slightly different as well. Grime was 10 years prior to that. Before that, we had UK Garage. UK Garage was pretty much just about going to the club and looking at a chick and partying and enjoying and have a good, having a good time. A lot less, uh, a lot less aggressive mm -hmm. than grime. And then prior to that was something called Jungle. Jungle was essentially again uh, a mix between reggae and electronic music, very up tempo, and you had a lot of people on the mics speaking like they sounded like they were from Jamaica. The reasons why is because they learned how to do this from Jamaica. So Going back, you have soundboy music and class music. And then before that, you have reggae music. So our lineage from what we have now going back 
essentially goes back to Jamaica and the Caribbean and definitely to a certain degree, Africa as well. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in the United States, however, the black music that you have now, again, there's so many different genres, but if we are talking about your neo-souls and your raps and your trap music, you can date that back to the hip-hop of New York, which you can date that back to uh, jazz prior to that blues, you know, prior to that gospel. And as you can see from from these two, uh, I guess, family trees of 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 music, whilst there are many similarities, there are different histories. But each of those lineages have contributed so much to, to pop culture. Like the Caribbean, you have you have your Bob Marley's and your Dennis Browns and, and again your Sean Paul's and Dancehall and Reggae. Like and in the UK, we have so many different artists. I don't know where to start from Seal to Sade to um to Labyrinth to I guess Sting uh and the Gorillas and so many different artists and again the same in the United States. But I feel like when it comes to R and B, I just feel like we have we have so much to say. Yeah. We have so much DNA to share, you know? Yeah. It's an interesting game. Yeah. And I think, you know, what the, what you're touching on again with Drake, this idea of, um, there, there is a, in addition to these kind of racist notions of, uh, from predominantly white record label executives of what hip hop or what R&B should be, there's this American exceptionalism that says only music that comes from America uh, at least when it comes to hip hop and R and B, is yeah. valid, is relevant, and I think the the way that that perception changed, like UK chart music was a lot more forward thinking than American chart music for a long time. <laughs> like you know, the influence of dance music um, coming into the charts, having music like jungle and drum and bass and house and whatever infused into the you know people listening to steps or whatever you know like exactly exactly a broader range of stuff happening in the charts and then when hip-hop started really dominating here it was a very specific brand of hip-hop and that was the only kind of thing that was allowed it was really like new york and la for a long time then you know uh the south and chicago and all these other places start kind of coming up and very slowly this dance music influence started coming through from the uk Mm -hmm. and it was like finally people opening their minds to the idea that that music was you know i mean to you know something they should listen to but more to the point something they could sell yeah Um, yeah yeah and so yeah all, all of that stuff i think just thinking about how that relates to nostalgia ultra as well having somebody who's taking these samples from coldplay and from uh mgmt and from the Mm -hmm. eagles and you know playing bits of like uh eyes wide shut all of these other influences that are you know quote unquote white uh culture being uh thrown into this and there's something i find very funny Go ahead. It's a very nice line in a mixtape where he says, what the fuck is a Radiohead? Or rather, he has someone who he's mm-hmm. having a conversation with in the car and she's like, what the fuck is a Radiohead? You ain't got no Jodeci. And yeah. Jodeci is sick. Like, I, I fuck with Jodeci differently. But Radiohead, bro, like, mm. it's, it's um again, it, it, it's, it's just tying into the idea that you wouldn't expect someone who very clearly has his DNAs rooted in, in R&B and, and soul and, and jazz and gospel, but still, you know... <laughs> when he's taking a check out somewhere, he'll, he'll throw on some OK computer because he thinks that that's, you know, going to be a sick mood, you know. And, you know, sometimes it is. But, yeah, I just feel like it's it's important to see that, man. It's yeah. important to see the, the, the new ingredients that can be injected into an album or the new ingredients that can be injected into the recipe of a song or a mixtape, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the irony is that all of this music, like rock music is black music. It's just like, you know, uh, again, looking back at that family tree and seeing the origins, like all pop music is black music. And um, the idea that it's somehow revolutionary or like unheard of for a black artist to like incorporate elements of rock when also that's not nothing new in the first place. It's like, you think about, you know, run DMC and Aerosmith or whatever, like all of these other examples that will come up or like someone like Prince who like, you know, crossed every genre. So yeah, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was a huge, a huge part of what attracted people to Frank Ocean initially. It was just like somebody who was not afraid to just go all out, do make the but, music that he wanted to make and not really care about what other people were looking for. But then he did it well, though. Like, yeah, he did it yeah, very yeah. well. Like, it, because it, it, we're always experimenting. We're always trying to come up with new things. We're always trying to, trying to have something like a project that connects with many different people or even to try to push, to try to push the sonic boundaries as far as it can be pushed. But I feel like Frank Ocean just did it in a sick, effortless way, especially considering the delivery that he had in his songs and also the arrangement of the songs. Like they weren't, they weren't try hard. They weren't overselling. It's not as if he had like a chorus at the beginning that had to sell the song or like he had the the sheen and the glisten that you would expect on, or even the typical sounds that you would expect on an R&B album of that time. Like, I think this came out like 10, 11 years ago, where are we, 2021? Can you it's remember when the, the mixtape came the out? The 10th anniversary was uh, just in February, so. February, mm-hmm. right. Okay, so 2011, I was right. 2011, mm-hmm. February. Um, was when this came out. And a lot of albums around that time, like you said, like were experimenting with the EDM stuff and the house stuff and people wanted to go to space. Like mm-hmm. I remember vividly, like everybody had the Kanye shades and Frank's here in this BMW E32, if I can remember. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the picture right now. I have no idea what one that's the model. But like <laughs> it's, he did it effortlessly. Like he didn't feel like it was try hard. It didn't feel like, it, it, it felt very much like he understood how to write songs and therefore also those skills were transferable into the songs that he had. So it didn't even matter that he sampled X, Y, Z. It felt right, you know? Like, it, 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 it was very down to the mix, down to the delivery, down to the amount of words that he had in one verse. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said about someone who really understands how to write a song, you know? Because mm-hmm. then, um, evidently, after those albums, you can tell it's not a fluke, you know? Like, he will have a song like, Nine lost in the dark. And it's, it's just a very nice bop that you could just, you know, drive to. But then, again, many other songs would be, uh, would have unconventional moments like pyramids, you know, going mm-hmm. in from one song to the next or just having many areas where you're just freestyling and different words or some of the words may not rhyme as much. And so there's this element of not trying to adhere to this typical conventional commercial song, you know, Um but yeah, it's very evident that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And that he has done from the first mixtape. Yeah, and even with songs that, to my mind, feel like the songs that would have been singles if this album had been released like uh, a normal album, like Love Crimes, where yeah. it's like the it's so hooky. It's so like, it's such an earworm. It just sticks with you. And then having that huge, like Nicole Kidman monologue from eyes wide shut at the end of it, that's just like nuts. And um, yeah, yeah, just very yeah. unexpected. And just having those little touches that kind of, it's like, this is poppy, poppy music. This is music that could be on the radio. And then there's just something that's a little bit just like shifts kind of off kilter. That's like something that lets you know that, you're not listening to an average song. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. I, I very like he very much has a sense of independent thought. He very much has a bespoke personality, and it's not cookie cutter in any way, shape, or form. Nor does it adhere to it borrows from different DNAs. But this is a very fresh specimen, a very new species of musician, mm. um, and you would be wise to take note. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I felt like that when I listened to Labyrinth. His first album, Electronic Earth, came out in 2010. And he's still making music and writing with a considerable amount of different artists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the album in particular and a few other singles that he that he made and did with other people where myself as a writer and a producer just felt like, yeah, why don't we just spaz on songs and have very dumb arrangements and, and all that kind of stuff. And I guess there's like a, there's always this healthy balance of making a song for the purpose of trying to create the most beautiful, the most elaborate, the most grand piece that you can come up with. But then there's also something about just trying to serve a purpose or be a servant to humankind hmm. to the point where many people can listen to that one song and feel an emotion that, that you know how to evoke. Yeah, I think, I think both Frank and Labyrinth have the ability to do both, to have the balance where you can tell that it's not conventional, but you can, you can still connect in the same way that you would with a ballad or with any other song. Like he's at the end of um, I think it's Pink and Blue. You showed me love on um the latest album, mm-hmm. um, and he he says um say what up to Michael, um say what up to many different people who've who have passed on, and they're just like chill throwaway ad libs that are at the end of the song, you know, heard in the background, not meant to be heard front and center where Beyonce's BVs are are taking center stage, you know, like mm-hmm. he's he's just finessing the song at this point. That's not. A pop thing you know that's just an energy thing mm-hmm. yeah it's real dope man it's yeah. real dope and you hear the songs yeah you hear those little asides you hear those little extra flourishes and it's like yeah it isn't uh again it is it isn't throwaway it's like it's it, your mind just latches onto those things and it gives you this little insight into what he's thinking what he's feeling Exactly. And in this way that's exactly. so subtle and it blends so seamlessly in with the rest of the stuff. And it's like, you know, I think that's a good comparison with Labyrinth as well. It's like, <laughs> without getting too cheesy, uh, hit makers uh, who are innovators, you know, like yeah, fully. really understanding how to make like song craft, how to, how to, how to create music that people want yeah. to hear, but yeah. also pushing the boundaries of what people are listening to and trying to make cracks in the mold, you know, trying to push things further, innovate and change the the landscape a little bit. And he's, he's continued to do that. Like with blonde, I think it's like real freedom when he's finally part of it is just like fame and power. You know, you get power with more fame, being able to have the, the luxury of, relaxing just like making these songs yeah, that exactly. are a bit looser kind of nebulous and uh yeah i'm really i just he's 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 one of these people who i'm just like i'm always so excited to see what what he's going to do next of course of course when was it when was the first time you heard the nostalgia ultra like were you did you hear it around the time that it got released or did you was it like a something that you discovered later on online yeah no i i heard it around the the same uh, right around the time that it, it came out i was actually i was okay. living, living in london then um and okay sick yeah just like there was an energy around that time yeah and he's it was such a like instant kind of buzziness you know he'd been writing for famous people as well he'd like wrote yeah, for yeah, 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 brandy yeah, yeah. and whatever justin bieber and so yeah people were starting to know who he was but also just having this like yeah the fact that it was a mixtape made it feel to me much more like it was somebody who was coming up from the like an underground artist 
when yeah, that we, wasn't really the reality, but it still felt like something that was a bit secret and exciting. Yeah, that time was really cool. Yeah, yeah. That was really cool. I can't think of anything else that came in. I mean, I, I dropped a mixtape around that time. Hmm. Um, I, dro- I dropped it maybe a month after Frank Osher's mixtape. Um, and it, it. I don't know if I heard Frank around that time. And it's funny because <laughs> I, I may have... I may have listened to it and been like, because the, the concept of my mixtape is, is similar sonically in the idea that uh, I borrow from quite a few different genres that one would think shouldn't appear on the same album. So I sample Coldplay and I sample Calvin Harris and I sample Dilla and uh, Lil Wayne and Young Money and, and a few other hip hop guys. Jigga had a song that I sampled from um, Kingdom Come. And and yeah, th- there's this element of, of borrowing different sounds from many different places. And... <laughs> Listening to Frank's mixtape, I probably would have, you know, just wanting to be the musician that comes up with a concept first, or just like mm. a, a body of a, a form of a body of work first. You'd like to be the first, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in my mind, I would have listened to it and been like, "Nah, fuck that! Like I got to grab the whole mixtape. I got to do something else fresh." <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad I didn't. I'm really glad I didn't because I just feel like um, again going back to the first point I mentioned about like British music or just British R and B in general, like the the accent. The, the the slang the the things the things that we would talk about the 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 bluntness the sarcasm like it's 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 bespoke you know mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, <laughs> there's a th- there's a thing that Dan- Daniel Kaluuya does whenever I see him in an interview and it's uh, I feel like he just has a personality that's very relatable I think that's what I want to say mm-hmm. and it comes across in interviews and I see other uh, celebrities who who are on on screen and they seem to be just turning it on you know smiling on cue laughing on cue their 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 posture and their way in which they're sitting in 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 the uh, in the interview room is very considered you know daniel looks like he's hanging out in his flat with the lads with his friends with his mm-hmm. day ones and uh it's the beauty of that is the uh the we i don't know there's just this envy of contentment that you get uh but it isn't just him. Like there's that exists in London. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's this there, there's this element of of um, being very cynical towards fanfare and uh, what's the word uh, showbiz and and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And that DNA you will notice at the moment you land here. Uh, and I feel like that is 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 prominent in the art that we make. I feel like that's prominent in the personas that we have. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I feel like I feel like when it comes to when it comes to music in particular, I feel like there's there's something that that the world hasn't quite fully grasped yet. That I feel like can have the same effect as southern hip hop on the world or reggaeton from um, Spanish regions. You know, like I feel like despite the fact that it, there's there's like this language barrier or this accent barrier, I feel like there's there's something that that hasn't fully been like not even accepted but hasn't fully permeated pop culture yet from our side of the pond mm-hmm. i can't explain what it is i definitely feel like the rest of the world has heard people like your stormsies or your daves or uh skeptors mm-hmm. or obviously lma and mahalia i feel like the difference with someone like an lma is that she spent a, a very strong amount of time in the united states mm-hmm. and um again not taking anything away from her i'm, I'm a i'm a fan uh i love the writing i love the, the art as a body of work in general. Like the latest album was was um, really dope and nostalgic. But I feel like, um, not even a but, I feel like she she's still very much 
is a connoisseur of R&B from the United States. So when it comes to listening to her projects, you don't hear her accent until you start listening to the interludes or you start listening to the interviews. Do you know what I mean? She's not necessarily talking about where she grew up or what cars, what the cars look like, or you don't really hear like a back and forth between her and her friends on a Thursday night having a drink and watching their favorite TV show, you know? Like that 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 honesty you'd only see in a uh, in, in 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 an album from me, I guess, or or a Michaela Cole TV show or or a I'm trying to think now. Or I mean, Nahalia has moments where she's singing in her accent, and then you you also have um, a wide variety of different R&B artists that exist in in the UK, like Bella or Colleen Taylor or Ray or Nao or there, there's too many to mention. Cleo. Um, I feel like the accent, however, the 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 ingredients that make us who we are, you know, I feel like that's yet to to cross pollinate to many different regions in the world. I think we have fans all over the world, but in terms of it, like having been like a major takeover, I don't, I don't think it's there yet. Yeah. But I mean, I think I I may destroy you is a big turning point in terms of exposure to black British culture in this country. And um, also just the soundtrack to that as well. well. Yeah. 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 Top boy definitely is, is um, I feel like as a TV show and also having someone like, Drake to be the executive producer of that show definitely adds the potential for cross-pollination. There's a lot of people, even in the comments, people would say like, I, I didn't know the UK had ghettos like this, you know, or I didn't know there were many black people in the UK like this, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely, I, you have to give different shows their props, but I agree. I think um, a masterpiece like I made assure you, including the, the, the diversity of the soundtrack definitely makes people stand up and say, what have I been missing for these past years? And why do I not know that this culture, this hub exists? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it took something as brave and as visceral as this piece to make people take notice, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you Also, when you were talking about Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Michaela Cole is another person who she, she's not chilled in interviews. It's not like a relaxed thing. She's very in control, but yeah. Oh, I I love hearing her speak and I love hearing her in conversation with other people because she does not take any shit. She is fully, fully in control uh, and she doesn't suffer fools at all. So like I saw this interview that uh, Christian Guru Murthy did with her and he was like asking just kind of like basic dumb questions and she's just looking at him and going, what do you mean? <laughs> um and just yeah that that kind of control <laughs> she she just like she is another person who i just like i i can't wait to see what comes next like i you know yeah stuff with um the stuff that she did with uh like starting out with chewing gum and then yep. yeah a, just just like an amazing performer and again someone who is like looking at things in a different way thinking Definitely. of storytelling in a different way but still making Definitely. work that's really compelling and stuff that people want to hear that's really popular that like changes the world but is so Definitely. unique it's so different yeah i feel that i feel like there's a beauty of uh, her form of storytelling being the fact that i guess firstly it's very evident that she um again like frank ocean knows the blueprint of um, a television show or that form of art, you know, the arcs that it needs to have, the way in which the story can progress or how it can evolve, mm. um, being a master of the oh shit moment. <laughs> and then secondly, she just has a strong sense of independent thought. So you won't see her talking about or even protesting about anything out in social media. There was definitely a time where she was having fun on a gram. But then aside from that, like, it's very much like... Um, 
everything that she says is considered. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's, I think there's an interview on YouTube about um, her fiasco with Netflix mm. and the idea that they wanted to take an own masters of I May Destroy You. And she said no. Yeah. And it, it was hardly done. And it was almost shocking for her to say no. But it was important for, I believe, not only her, but also for creatives everywhere to know that it isn't necessarily to your benefit all the time for your intellectual property to just be given to someone else. You know, like it, it, it's important for you to understand the worth of what you're making, where it comes from, the impact it will have, all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very evident that she's she's aware of that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's crazy dope. Um, we worked on on chewing gum, so she asked me to do the music, mm. a lot of the music for that. And yeah, I made I may destroy you, man. I have no words. I have no words because it's genreless. It doesn't it doesn't adhere to any particular. Again, not even a blueprint, but just being able to compare it to any other show. If someone says, "Yo, what's my, what's I may destroy you?" Like you'd be like, "It's a it's a drama that's funny, that's dark, that's." has weird bits in this particular part and it's from a black girl from the UK who goes through this traumatic. It's like, how do you describe that? Hmm. Like how you just say, just watch it and thank me later. You know? Yeah. She's one of them. She's one of them. And you're right. In interviews, she, uh, <laughs> she doesn't have it. Yeah. So yeah, just absolutely incredible. Uh, just like, and, and also in addition to, and I think again, the parallels there with Frank Ocean that not just saying, I need control of my work and I, or I won't let you take control of my work and I won't let you take all of the rewards from this amazing work that I've done, Exactly. but also lifting up other people. And she talks about it all the time about wanting to have people in her writer's rooms. She wants to find, you know, give people a chance and, um, you know, really focusing on helping other black writers, especially yes. other black women, other people yeah. like you know, marginalized people, queer people, whatever, yeah. and yeah. including them and saying people need to be given opportunities to tell the stories that they have to tell. And you never That's know right. when the next Michaela Cole is going to come unless you give those people opportunities. Exactly. Exactly. There's there's a very good scene where she's not even in the episode and it's uh, a description of our childhood. And she has... Um, other actors and actresses and the 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 cast of that particular episode was was sick like everybody was on point there wasn't a throwaway clip in that to me anyway and but there's my, my friend in Sassy said it he said there's a sense of contentment and there's a sense of what's the word I guess it's giving but then it's 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 something else there's there's an element of knowing that the piece is bigger than you and it's bigger than the exposure of you you as an actor or, or a writer or a director this is are just about the piece and the effectiveness of the piece, you know? Like, there, there didn't need to be a moment where she would flash into the episode and be like, I am that child. Like, it was very evident based on men, a myriad of different things, you know? Hmm. Um, and, yeah, I guess it comes back to being a student, as you may have put it, the idea that all you care about, like, all you care about is person on the other side of that screen. Like, what are their eyes going to look like when they see this scene? How are they going to feel in their stomach? How likely are they going to change their day and be like, guys, you need to see this shit because my life was different until this very moment. Like you get that with Get Out, again, mm. Daniel Kaluuya. You get mm. that with Nostalgia Ultra. You get that with um, So Far Gone by Drake. Uh, there's, 
there's there's moments there's moments oh shit moments that mm-hmm. happens and there's there's a dna in that there's like a an element a, 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 a something that says fuck what happened before this is what's happening now let me know if you feel it you know i'm pretty sure you will but it's here yeah uh, yeah yeah um watching evolution in the form of art is really dope it's yeah. really nice yeah and I guess that's, you know, that's kind of what this show is all about. Um, my show is having those moments where it's either recognizing yourself in whatever art you're experiencing, seeing your own experience, feeling like somebody sees you or has shared that experience or mm-hmm. being able to appreciate somebody else's experience, being able to see the world from a different point of view. And yeah. all of these, the the artworks that you mentioned, I think, accomplish both of those goals. For sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, this has been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you, uh, giving me so much time. Um, bless uh, you, sir. Likewise, likewise. I, I, um, I, I always want to take the time to like, just, I mean, you, you, you've interviewed a bunch of different musicians before. And so I'm sure that you've heard the story of, oh, I'm stuck in the studio or, oh, it's lockdown or all I do is mix or all I do is Mm. write this, this, this lyric, you know, it's, it's nice, man. Yeah. It's nice to connect to other people and to discuss it so yeah thank you yeah yeah it's been really great um uh thank you so much again no stress all right the next take care peace bye-bye see i told you this was a good one thanks again to shaka for making time for me um you can stream or download his latest single solo featuring gold link right now and his debut album will be out later this year Uh, Okay, quick inspirational work of the week from me. There is a new-ish series on Netflix called This Is Pop that documents the recent history of, you guessed it, pop music. And the definition of pop is really broad in this show, and rightly so. Uh, It starts with an episode focused on boys to men, which is fucking amazing. And there are episodes on Swedish pop, on pop country, music festivals, Brit pop, etc, etc. Each episode has a totally different tone. So it's really like watching a series of short documentaries. Uh, I've really, really, really been enjoying it. So if you're interested in pop music and music history, you should definitely check it out. And that's really it from me this week. As always, please tell all of your friends about this show and follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Uh, Other than that, have a great week. Be kind to all creatures, great and small. And until next time, bye. Greetings from Chromatica, home of Lady Gaga, liberator of kindness punks, mother of little monsters, tricon of the ages. We are her best fans with a mission to create a podcast celebrating our hero. Broadcasting straight from Chromatica. This podcast is about Lady Gaga for Lady Gaga. But anyone can listen. It doesn't matter if you love him or capital H-I-M. Prove your stupid love. Ace the art pop quiz. Put your paws up. And download the Chromaticast wherever you get your podcasts. Join us every other Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for our live tapings at twitch.tv slash apocalypse podcast network. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.
Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.